You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. episode of the show, we'll be discussing spooky, horrific, and supernatural gimmicks of professional wrestling. Legends such as Sting, The Undertaker, and The Boogeyman. Okay, you guys. So, Boogeyman's not really a legend but we gotta talk about boogeyman right because he's a spooky guy he's a spooky guy and we've got to discuss exactly what the deal was with him and we do i've got sean and i've got johnny danger back on the episode and it's great it goes a little bit long so i'm going to keep the intro short but we were having a good time and this is a much more expansive topic than i had realized and it's not i mean there obviously there are tons of guys that have used sort of horror-based gimmicks in professional wrestling because the theatricality of professional wrestling goes hand-in-hand with that kind of thing, with the macabre. But it's not so much that there are tons of guys. There are a lot. Uh, But it's that so many of them require so much conversation. Uh, They made such an impact on the business that we, we end up talking about a few guys for a long time, and at the end we'd have to do kind of a speed round, which is fine. It's it's a great talk. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, but before we get to that, of course I have to put over the fact that you can find the Needless Things podcast on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher, and I ask you to please go and rate it. Apparently that is an important thing to do, uh, and also to share it. If you enjoy this show Share it around the internet. We need all the exposure we can get. Uh, I would love to have an avenue to pay the bills. As of yet, I do that with my own cash. If some sort of advertising or something or other, just, just spread the word. More opportunities will happen. And plus, as I've mentioned before, I want to take the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show Show on the road. We all do. Uh, but we're going to need finances for that. And I don't know that something like... 
uh, a Kickstarter or, or a GoFundMe or, or, or any of that is really the answer because I don't know that it's a thing people are going to get behind in that way. Uh, but we want to, we want to do a road trip. We want to do a worldwide tour. Okay. Maybe not a worldwide tour, but anyway, we have ambition and you guys can help us make it happen. All you do is spread the word about the Needless Things podcast, uh, which you can also find at needlessthingssite.com where you can stream it or download it as well as checking out five or more articles per week from some of the most unique, intelligent, and interesting writers in the online writing on a blog game. Uh, we do not have posts that consist of genre actor you like says, when prompted, that they would star in genre film that you want to see. Uh, that's not what we do. We write original stuff. We we have pithy, thoughtful articles and toy reviews. Toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery is the unofficial tagline of the site. But we, we don't do any of that links to other sites unless it's, hey, check out this trailer that pertains to what we're talking to, that kind of thing. We, we try and keep it uh, very interesting and very fresh and very different from from everything most other things online i mean, you know i'm not gonna lie i was influenced by other websites but i think you guys will dig it so check it out so today johnny danger and sean have come on to help me talk about spooky wrestling gimmicks uh which has been discussed at length online and, and i definitely recommend you poke around and check out some of the other conversations because there's obviously stuff we weren't able to cover in one podcast episode but nobody else is this trio of terror so you will get opinions from us that you will not find anywhere else online and it's a nice conversational thing too oh i also encourage you to follow me on periscope which i have just started uh, the opening of this episode, I did a little Periscope video, which you can find. I'm Phantom Turbomaker there as well as on Twitter. You can find it in both places. I'm still honestly not up to speed on how it works, but it's yet another void for me to shout into. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I had a lot of fun doing the little video segment that I did, and uh, I'm sure I'll do more because I like doing video stuff. I think you get more when you can watch it but at the same time i'll never go to a video podcast because nobody's got that kind of time like i think it's fun here's a couple of minutes of promotional video oh that's interesting i want to go listen to these people uh but I, you know who wants to sit at their computer for an hour hour and a half or two hours as the case may be uh, watching a video of a guy sitting at a desk talking that's unnecessary uh, but some people do it and apparently it's super hot but i'm not interested in doing that so I'll do little bits and pieces here and there, but that's about as much as you're going to get out of us. So that is more intro than I'd intended on. Before I go, I want to put over one more thing. Uh, the Puckin' Fuppet Show Halloween edition is tomorrow night. I understand I have not been putting this over long enough, but I, I, I'm going. I'm going to be there. It's going to be incredible. You have heard me. If you've been listening or looking at the site, you've heard me put over the uh, Puppet Slam at Dragon Con. This is going to be the same thing, only Halloween-y. And they have just announced that Madison Cripps is going to be there. Madison is incredible. He's a sweetheart, and he's a super talented puppeteer. So that's an awesome enticement. So if you're listening to this the day it comes out Friday, uh, or if you're listening to it on Saturday, the 17th, during the day, you can still make it to the Village Theater in Atlanta to see the, the Puckin' Fuppet Show Halloween 
spectacular edition and look for it on Facebook. If you look up uh, Puck and Fuppet, you'll, you'll find the event there. So I highly recommend it for your Halloween entertainment. So here it is, Spooky Stuff in Wrestling. Enjoy. Johnny, just so you know, I am trying to periscope portions of this. Now, unfortunately, okay, I am now live. So as you can see on the screen, I am talking to Sean and Johnny. Uh, you guys aren't going to be able to hear them, so we're not going to be doing this for long. Sean and Johnny, I've got this on Periscope, which is somehow hooked into Twitter. It's yet another way to shout into the void, I guess. It's another thing I can do that nobody's going to pay attention to. Hey, just like my wrestling career. <laughs> see, anybody, anybody that might be looking at this on Periscope, uh, Johnny just made a very funny joke that if you want to hear it, you're going to have to listen to the Needless Things podcast. That's how you sell right, right. there. Right. They're going to be like, my gosh, this third of the conversation that I'm hearing sounds fascinating. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear the other two thirds. What are those other jabrones saying? Right. What could they possibly be talking about? What they're going to be talking about. Uh, and, and, and I guess this is the start of the podcast too, because this is going to be, you guys, let me just tell you, I am at the end of my October rope. Uh, my shit is not together this month at all. <laughs> I've been working, I've been working like crazy. Uh, I'm just barely getting by with the site and the podcast and everything else. Like I'm happy they're going as well as they are, but like today, uh, I sold a bunch of shit on eBay. Just because I, I like, you know what? I need room. Here's some stuff that they're they're not going to make any more of, or stuff that I just don't care that much about. Whatever. I was just like, I you know, I'd rather have money than this stuff. So I sold a bunch of stuff on eBay. And my big plan. I, this was my first day off in a while, and the kids were out of school today, so I got to hang out with a little troublemaker. Oh, were, were the kids out of school today? Is it's that why they're getting mail? Day. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Cool. So Let's here's see. yeah here's. <laughs> It's a uh, genocidal maniac day. I forgot. Well, here's another facet of that story is that I hadn't had time to ship all the stuff. All the auctions ended like Friday or whatever. And I just haven't had time to ship it because I've been working every day. So last night I was like, all right, shit, I got to sit down and box this stuff up 
and have it done by one because you have to, if you want U.S. Uh, Postal Service to pick stuff up the same day, you have to have it in by 1 a.m. And so I was like rushing. I'm like sweating last night. I'm like running around the basement trying to pack stuff up because I'm really, really careful about when I pack stuff on eBay. So I'm packing stuff up. I'm like, holy shit, I got 20 minutes left. Oh shit, I got 10 minutes left. And finally, zip, zap, got the last of the tape on the boxes, scheduled the pickup. And I was like, what the fuck is this? No mail today. (laughs) (laughs) They don't do mail on Columbus Day because I guess Christopher Columbus didn't have mail. I don't know. Um, he was um, he was a male. He was raping as as we know. Uh, Native Americans is what he was doing. Raping Native Americans. That sounds legit. And he was like, fuck your packages. Yeah, um, fuck my package, I think is what he was like. <laughs> right. He's like, fuck my package. Poke a hot ass, get over here. So so anyway, that was <laughs> that's what happened there. And so I have, but I've got my money. I was like, okay, I've got a pretty good chunk of money here. Today we're going to get up, we're going to go somewhere to eat, and then we're going to go around to Halloween stores and buy because we did all our Halloween stuff out in the yard uh, last week on the only day in the last eight months that it hasn't rained and got all that done. And when we were done, uh, my son is like, eh, we need some more stuff. So today we're going to get some more stuff. This morning I dropped my car off to get an oil change, uh, which was dumb of me because Anytime my car goes to the car place, it costs $500. It doesn't matter what it is. So I drop the car off, and the guy calls up, and he's like, Hey, um, there's a, a screw in your left driver's side tire. And I was like, Well, it's cool. I got those tires from you guys. Uh, and it was a while. It was years ago. But I was like, Yeah, just plug it up. He was like, Well, it's off to the side, and I'm afraid if we plug it. It's da, 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 da. So basically, I had to buy two new tires for the car which was almost every cent of the chunk of money that I was going to be buying Halloween stuff with. Because mm. that's how things work. Because <laughs> life and grown-ups and it's, adulthood it's, Dude, fuck adulthood right in the adult butt. <laughs> and I think that note is where I'm going to end the Periscope portion of this podcast. Uh, because I would like you guys to talk at some point, but anybody that might watch this on the Periscope, check out needlessthingssite.com. This is the Needless Things podcast, and you can hear not only this, but me and Sean and Johnny Danger talking about spooky, creepy, and horror-themed gimmicks in professional wrestling. That'll be up this Friday, October the 16th. So check that out. Thank you for periscoping, and let me know if you actually watch this, so maybe I'll do it again. Hashtag adult butt. Yes, end periscope. Oh, gosh, I don't know how to turn this off. (laughs) Are you sure you want to end this broadcast? Confirm. All right, do I have to do anything now? Total viewers won. What? Get out of town. It's probably me. (laughs) There's probably, like, some kind of... Retention, N-A. That sounds good. I like the sounds of that. All right. Well, I did a thing, so good for me. Uh, and podcast listeners, you can follow me on Twitter at Phantom Turbomoker, uh, or at Needless Things underscore and see all the happy Periscope action. Uh, I will keep my pants on. I promise. All right, guys. So with that weird introduction, 
<laughs> was slightly <laughs> awkward. Let me welcome, first of all, returning to the show, Sean. It's good to have you back on. I knew you'd be fun for this one, and I think your brain works slightly better than mine does. So I think I think from a uh, encyclopedic knowledge standpoint, oh, uh, you're going to be very helpful. I'm going to be leaning on the both of you heavily. Uh, just no pressure. I'm fine. Where this podcast is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> But that's okay, because we are also joined by none other than Mr. Danger Kick himself, Johnny Danger! Fantastic to be here, as always, sir. I I knew this would be right up your alley, and I was tempted to have your tag team partner back for this one, but he was just on, and I try and, you know, vary it up week to week. That's okay. You know, sometimes, you know, you, you take the abuse, you got to make the hot tag. You've got the other Danger City demon here tonight. We'll get it done. And seeing that he was here last time and you were not, I want to congratulate you, sir, for being one half of the 2015 Platinum Championship Wrestling Tag Team Season Champions. Thank you very much for bringing that up. It was a great honor. I, man, I so wish I could have been there, but as I was just saying, freaking work, dude. <laughs> I did not realize that I was like in, um, I'm surrounded by royalty at this point. You absolutely are. I mean, I, I feel like I should be kneeling down and prostrate myself. Well, you might as well. We can't see you. So as far as we know, you are. I am totally kneeling down and I've been kneeling down (laughs) since the start of the podcast and I was periscoping it, but you all missed it. Oh, damn it. I didn't know it was going to be that kind of show. Oh, it's always (laughs) that kind of show, baby. Okay. So. Uh, I've got to bring up my list here because I, I am, as I've been emphasizing, uh, running, running a little ragged, but we're going to be talking about, uh, spooky horror themed wrestling gimmicks, which I thought was a great idea. And then when I started sort of poking around, cause I actually did something I never do. I did a little bit of research for this one. Uh, and it turns out. This topic has been thoroughly covered by the internet. Surprise! But that's okay because nobody else is, uh, Sean Reed, Phantom Troublemaker, and Johnny Danger. So, we will Thank obviously God. cover this better than anybody else ever has. Damn right. Uh, I want to start by, uh, by, I always like to start with personal experiences, uh, cause I, I think that is one of the things that makes this show special. And I want to start with each of you guys' first memory of a scary wrestler. Now, this one doesn't necessarily have to be uh, an intentionally horrific gimmick. This can just be the first wrestler that you remember being like unsettled by or scared of. And just to give you an idea of what I'm looking for, I'll start it off because my guy is King Kong Bundy. And the reason, you know, one, the guy looked fucking scary. There's no way around that. Uh, and then he showed up on Married with Children, and you're like, okay, he must be okay. Uh, <laughs> but King Kong Bundy crippled the Hulkster. And that's one of my earliest memories, not only of being legit scared by a wrestler that I saw on TV, but also of totally buying into a storyline because I thought Hulk Hogan was done because that's how they put it over was that, that Bundy had taken out the Hulkster and then it culminated in a, uh, an amazing cage match. Uh, 
but Bundy was just his, he was massive for a kid that had only seen Andre occasionally at that point. Uh, you know, Bundy was a huge guy and he looked like almost like a Dick Tracy or Batman villain. Uh, he, he just had a really intimidating, scary presence. And, uh, he, he's the, even though he's not really, you know, he's not at all like a horror gimmick or anything. Uh, he totally scared me. And, and to this day, like I still, I, I can still feel that. You know what I mean? Uh, what about you, Johnny Danger? Who, who's the, what's, what's the first gimmick you remember feeling a little uneasy about? I'll touch on a few very quickly, then end with one that left the biggest impression. For um, sure. Seeing guys like Demolition with their awesome entrance music, their gear, their face paint. Even when they were good guys, I knew there was something kind of badass about those guys, kind of dark. Flipping through the pages of uh, PWI magazines and seeing a blood-stained, wide-eyed Abdul the Butcher certainly left a mark on me. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think what's always going to stick in my mind, the sticking point I always use to prove to everyone that wrestling was indeed real is when Jake the Snake tied up the Macho Man in the ropes and let a cobra chew on his arm for lunch. <laughs> because you can't fake that, brother. Yeah, yeah, you you can't teach that. I was, no. That's exactly what came to mind. I was like, did anybody else hear that? Exactly. I'm uh, such a sucker for over-gimmickery. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, that and Jake is a good call because I, I put together a little list that we'll kind of talk about here, and I'm sure you guys have all the same stuff that I do and probably more. Um, but Jake's a good one that I did not have on my list, uh, and and he was certainly more of a like psychological type of horror, but he was definitely a a, a creepy and intense character. That's that's a good call. What about you, Sean? Uh, I think the first one to really scare me. Uh, was probably uh, one that Johnny just mentioned is Abdullah the Butcher. Because um, I just totally bought into that guy's. I I think I talked when we were on the Dusty podcast. Somehow, randomly, I growing up, I watched a lot of WCCW, probably even more than I did WWF at the time. Oh, wow. I don't know that I knew that about you. That's <laughs> yeah, it was. I have no idea. My mom was into wrestling and my grandfather. I grew up in Pittsburgh. My grandfather was a Pittsburgh City cop. And he worked security for a bunch of the wrestling events. Wrestling was huge. Like, Bruno San Martino, I think, is from Pittsburgh. So, like, it was a huge territory. And so I think it's just kind of in our blood. Like, we come out of the womb and we uh, cheer for the Steelers and we like professional wrestling. That's awesome. And so my mom would watch, like, on late, 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 like, UHF channels, um, We'd watch uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling and WCCW matches that would air, like, weirdly syndicated. And so, like, I love the Von Erichs and that whole thing. Like, I was into that whole, probably, like I said, probably even more so than WWF. Now, granted, rock and wrestling was around, so it was huge and it was unavoidable. And I was watching Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling Connection. But I still, my favorites were still some of the guys coming out of uh, WCCW. And it seemed so low budget, like, even... It was almost like the ROH of its day. Sure. And, uh, and Abdullah was just believable as this crazy guy that would stab you and cut you. And he was always bleeding and he was just freaky looking. And I can't remember if Percy Pringle was his manager for a while or not. That's the, the guy that would eventually become Paul Bear. Um, but 
he was also big in WCCW and anybody he managed just came across because even as Percy Pringle, he was playing that kind of Paul Bear character before he came out as Paul Bear. And I remember thinking the first time I saw him come out on WWF with The Undertaker, I was like, oh, it's Percy Pringle. And then he introduced himself as Paul Bear and my like 12 year old mind was confused. I was like, what? But his name is. So let me, let me ask you this because that's interesting. You know, I, I grew up in the South, but. I, I wasn't, aside from Saturday night clip shows, uh, I, I wasn't really aware of NWA because my parents were, were not only not into wrestling, anti-wrestling, uh, they, they didn't want me watching it, so I had to sneak around it. So to me, WWF was kind of it. Like, that was the big deal. To you, was WWF kind of like, you know, the, the brand, the standard that was out there, but because of your proximity, uh, to Pittsburgh didn't seem quite as impactful. Like, did it just uh, no. seem kind of like another thing? It, well, it still seemed like the big thing. Like, it was definitely, like I said, I would catch WCCW on a black and white television that happened to be in my room at night, like, sneaking from my parents, because it would come on weird times on various UHF channels. Okay. Um, you know, it was, and it may have even been after we got cable that we were able to pick it up. Like, it did not air during a normal time. So all my friends were all big WWF fans because that's what we had on Saturday mornings, and, you know, you could get up and you could watch WWF Superstars and, or whatever the show was at the time, and everybody a- had the action figures, and we all were Roddy Piper. And, I get you, I get you. And all that stuff. So, yeah, it was still huge, but I just kind of, in those early days, found myself even more intrigued by the stuff that wasn't super mainstream and now I sound like the wrestling hipster. Um, <laughs> but I just, like, the Von Erics were just fascinating. And then seeing those guys all come over to the WWF, I was like, oh, yeah, well, this is going to be awesome. The Texas Tornado, he was, you know, kicking ass down there and, you know, in Texas. And, you know, I was, I was familiar with that legacy. And so I was even more excited when those guys did come up. But no, WWF was still, I mean, like I said, WCCW felt very much like ROH does today. And WWF was still... WWF. It was still the biggest okay. thing in the universe. Um, so what we're going to do is just have a conversation. Uh, things can come up as they may, as things occur to you. If you guys are running off a list like I am, that's cool. Uh, but I will say this. There is one gimmick, and I'm sure you will both know exactly who I'm talking about, that I feel like we have to save for last the biggest supernatural gimmick that ever has been. Uh, and no, I'm not talking about the ECW zombie. Uh, <laughs> but we, we, we got a safe taker for last. Oh, I thought you meant uh, Hornswoggle. <laughs> well, he did have that sweet-ass home under the ring. <laughs> Do you know they actually built his house under a ring and were touring it uh, with WrestleMania one year? <laughs> We went, we went to the WrestleMania experience and they had Hornswoggle's like house under a ring. That's weirdly borderline offensive. Yeah. For, for little people and for Irish people. Well, he's like, not a little person though. He's a leprechaun. <laughs> a leprechaun on HGH apparently, but. Uh, right, right. Cause he can't pass the wellness policy. I don't. Yeah, poor, poor little fella. Oh wait. Come on. It was probably just a little pot. <laughs> hey oh. All right. <laughs> So, uh, one of you guys throw one out there and we'll talk about him a little bit and then we'll move on to another one. 
Oh, come on. Don't uh, be shy. It can be anyone from any era. I don't even care. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll start it then. I'll start with one of my sort of sentimental favorites, and that's Vampiro. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Vampiro. Uh, mainly knew him. I, I am a very see things mainstream and then track them down, like track down their history from there, or at least in the 90s I was, uh, as I think a lot of mainstream wrestling fans were. Uh, it wasn't until I discovered Ring of Honor that I started trying to sort of be aware of things on my own. But Vampiro first saw in WCW and was immediately taken with him because, to me, he combined sort of the best elements of Undertaker and Gangrel into somebody that seemed a little more dynamic. And and I don't know about charismatic because it's not like he got to talk a whole heck of a lot, but he was just an exciting presence to look at like he had his mannerisms were so specific to him he was very kinetic uh and and while his wcw career was not exactly extensive it it he he burned a hole in my mind like he's one of those guys that i immediately was like wow i want to see as much of this guy as i can and uh, he was definitely creepy he you know, with the, he's <laughs> he, he is inextricably linked with the misfits being in WCW and Jerry only wrestling a match. <laughs> Isn't that how he was introduced? Uh, yeah, I think I think the Misfits. It, it, you is it correct that the Misfits start showed up first and then he came in? I, I think didn't they use the Misfits to introduce him? And then, oh, you know what? That sounds right, actually, because and see, this is the extent of the research. It was was putting a list of names together. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Misfits brought him in, and I do seem to remember being very irritated that Jerry only ended up wrestling and we didn't see more of Vampiro, though we did later on. Actually, I think he was with the Insane Clown Posse before the Misfits. Oh, is that right? Well, he did. He the whole did. Deadpool gimmick with ICP and Raven. Oh, that's right. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I know he was because he actually still does stuff with like Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Yeah, yeah, he, um, he's one of the big guys, or, or at least for a long time was one of the big guys with JCW, and I'm sure he still has a spot there and always will. Um, yeah, gosh, we should have looked at it, but anyway, the point is the character and his character captivated me. And you, what about you guys? Like, do you give a shit about Vampiro? Did he do anything for you? Is he significant in the discussion we're having? I liked him. I think he certainly qualifies for the discussion, but, and I have no problem with Vampiro, but like you mentioned comparing him to Gangrel earlier, I think Vampiro didn't necessarily, he wasn't as much of a character like Gangrel. He embraced it more. Yes. I liked him better. There was no doubt about what he was, and I'm going to go ahead and say he had the best entrance in wrestling ever in Gangrel. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know that anybody can make a case that he did it. <laughs> <laughs> Gangrel's entrance was yeah, super spooky, um, perfect for his character, and over the top in a way that worked because he was Attitude Era, right? Or was he? Yeah, a, oh, totally. A, yeah. So, so it was weird because the Attitude Era was, I mean, you had personalities like Stone Cold and you had DX and you had all those guys that were kind of shedding the 
silly character gimmicks. Um, but you also had just as many over the top gimmicks as you had in the eighties. Right. Exactly. They were just, they were just they, violent and sexy. Right. Exactly. So it was, it was the a weird, like we, we still have these gimmicks, but we're doing them differently now. And Gangrel's for some reason, like you knew he wasn't an actual vampire, but you kind of thought for a second he might be a vampire. Well, he played it. Like, he played it like he was. Like Johnny said, he like Vampiro is a vampire in name only. He's just he's just kind of a weirdo, uh, gothy. Well, he's an American luchador, right? But as far as his as far as his character, he was not implying that he drinks blood. Whereas uh, Gangrel quite clearly was intended to be a vampire or excuse me, one, one with an alternative lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Maybe that's even scarier. Of course he wasn't a real vampire, but if the guy actually believes that he is, is that not even more fucked up? Sure. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and of course mentioning Gangrel, We've got to talk about how Edge and Christian were introduced and the fact that they were very much a part of that, that supernatural sect, uh, the, the brood. The brood, yeah. But that, that was their intro. And, you know, originally those guys who would become, you know, I don't want to say clowns because that sounds disparaging, uh, even though I don't mean it that way, but they became some of the most entertaining, hilarious guys that have ever been on the roster. And yet they came from being the, you know, hot topic poet shirt wearing, uh, crony, cronies of, of Gangrel. And, and we're totally that mysterious, like, who are they? Where do they come from? I don't know, but they live the same alternative lifestyle. When they didn't speak for forever. Yeah. Right. And, and wasn't Edge's gimmick kind of he was a werewolf? I, I thought he was a vampire hunter at first. I don't remember any of that. I just, I just remember <laughs> Edge and Christian being sort of his flunkies. Uh, well, remember Edge came in and feuded with Gangrel until Gangrel brought Christian in. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he debuted against Gangrel. I'm pretty sure they didn't really say it, but he was supposed to be kind of a vampire hunter. Interesting. Then Gangrel brought Christian to ringside one night, and they acknowledged he was Edge's brother, and I think it was kind of an uneasy alliance that they eventually just kind of forgot and became a normal alliance. <laughs> wow. Oh, maybe that's why I thought he was a werewolf, because they were fighting. He looks a little wolfy. And, and I, Under, was like, Underworld, I was like, I clearly like it. Underworld <laughs> wasn't even out yet, was it? Uh, it might have been, and I was very distracted by Kate Beckinsale. Oh, no. <laughs> but... They, we'll we'll do the uh, Kate Beckinsdale episode down the road, right? Um, be all of us going, mm-hmm. and we will not we will not discuss click. Fortunately, <laughs> I guess we will not discuss click. I have no idea. I'd say that... Adam Sandler. Movie. Oh, the Adam terrible. Sandler was terrible, <laughs> depressing. Yeah, depressing that's movie. Yeah. Um, Never so, bring that up again. So yeah, I'll I'll totally agree with you that uh, Gangrel lived the gimmick. And was, you know, for all intents and purposes, in the Attitude Era, was a vampire. And we have him to, uh, his entrance was phenomenal. And not only was it very, uh, one of the most affecting entrances I've seen, but think of the gear that they had to tote around to make that entrance happen every night. Right. 
because oh, yeah, he rose up on the floor every time, didn't right, he? Right, exactly. Out of yeah. a out of a ring of fire. Right, like it wasn't just pyro like they did with the Undertaker. Yeah, it was like, it was impressive. And then also we can't we we can't forget the bloodbath, where they would drop blood like Nickelodeon. You can't do that on television style. They would drop blood oh, on their oh, opponents. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, right in the middle of the ring, like they would have a blood gimmick set up, like in the the rigging, and their That's opponents right. their opponents would be out there. And I remember one time, you know, I think it was normally fairly localized, like beside the ring. Yeah. Uh, but there was one time where I think they doused the whole damn ring, and I <laughs> I, I want to say it was against like DX maybe, or the New Age Outlaws at least. Possibly, I know they they feuded with the Job Squad, who I think gave him a blue bath one night, <laughs> courtesy of the Blue Meanie. Oh boy, I don't even want to think about what a blue bath means when the Blue Meanie's involved. <laughs> oh, that's ugh, you got scary. a blue shower. Um, God. All right, well let's. Uh, I think we've we've covered Gangrel nicely by way of covering Vampiro. Uh, let's move on. And talk about some other, <laughs> I'm going to stick with WCW a little bit here because I want to make sure we talk about this. Uh, celebrity intervention is a big part of mainstream wrestling because it gets attention uh, to the general public. Like other people that don't normally watch wrestling will tune in to see a, a celebrity guest star, you know, hosting Raw or something along those lines. Uh, sometimes it works fairly nicely, like Stephen Amell's recent encounter uh, with Stardust. And sometimes it doesn't work so well, like when Chucky showed up to feud with Rick Steiner in oh, WCW. God, I totally purged that from my mind. <laughs> I'm actually relieved. I thought we were going to be talking about the No Limit Soldiers. Uh, <laughs> and their feud with the West Texas Rednecks. <laughs> Who could forget Big Swole? Big Swole! Um no, uh, we'll we'll save that for our our country time wrestling episode. <laughs> uh, no, so Chucky shows up in WCW uh, uh, always via the Nitrotron or whatever they called it, and uh, was just threatening Rick Steiner for no apparent reason, and then just went away because <laughs> obviously there is no way for that feud to culminate and everything unless you're going to send Rick Steiner out to wrestle a Chucky doll in the middle of the ring one night, which given that it was, uh, I think this was Russo era was a distinct possibility. Uh, uh Chucky would have been on a pole. Yeah. Chucky on a pole <laughs> match. That would have been and great. He wrestled. Who was, Oh God, what's the actress that played his wife? Jennifer Tilly. Yes. Jennifer mm, Tilly. Who is hot in the weirdest the way. Tilly cast. She's not what weird. Not at all. Dude. She is oh. just straight up hot. Yeah. Okay, then she's just straight up hot. I forgot yeah. who was on the podcast, and then anyone, <laughs> anytime I'm anywhere else around other people, I'm like Jennifer Tilly's really attractive, and they look at me like I have three eyes. You are hanging out with the wrong people, my friend. This is we've had this discussion. They, that these had. might be people living an alternative lifestyle. Thought <laughs> um, I There's people in there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Chucky showed up, uh, which went over like a fart in church, and. <laughs> Was it a movie promotion? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was Bride of Chucky. Maybe yeah, so. was was it the same? Or it might have even been an earlier one. But uh, and then also we had the one time that RoboCop 
shootout. Oh, oh my god! Didn't he fight Sting? Uh, I think he was there to help Sting. Wasn't oh, he? yes. Yeah, he saved Sting from the Horseman. And and RoboCop was unlike Chucky. He was actually there. Now it was not Peter Weller, obviously. Uh, it was some pud in a RoboCop suit, but he he slowly and laboriously made his way down the aisle to help out the Stinger. Was it was it Ron Reese in the in the RoboCop outfit? It's entirely possible because, <laughs> uh, as I learned, he was the Yeti. Yeti. No, RoboCop wasn't big enough to be the Yeti. Okay. Who? Who? Excellent segue into the Yeti. The Yeti segue right here on the Needless <laughs> Things podcast. So. I have anybody who's been to WrestleCrap. If you have not been to WrestleCrap, I highly recommend you go. Uh, but anybody who's been there knows of the Yeti who showed up first uh, in a giant block of ice. Is that what made him the Yeti? Apparently. Cause good grief. So on the network the other day, as I was doing research for this episode of the podcast, Phantom. Actual research, actual research as opposed to making list research. Well, and, and by research, I mean sitting on my fat ass watching whatever was on the network at the time. That's what we do. Uh, I have, they were showing Halloween Havoc 95, where Hogan accidentally throws the giant off the roof of a building. After they just got done sumo wrestling, now don't get this monster con- trucks. Yeah, I was getting ready to say, this is, uh, you, you can't leave out the monster trucks. They, aspect of this right, match. Right, right. What led to being thrown off the building was sumo wrestling monster trucks. So hopefully I set the scene for you here. Because of the big offense was that Hogan got his mustache shaved off. And then the Yete, and I'm not, like, that's no affectation. That is how... That's how Tony Schiavone called it. Right, that's what Scavone said. He said, it is the Yete. Um... And, and nobody, yet, and he says it many, many times. Nobody at any, over the course of a couple of podcasts, right. uh, or a podcast, broadcasts, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Tony Schiavone's podcasting WCW fucking Halloween <laughs> Havoc. Um, awesome. No, it would Nobody wants that. <laughs> um, and, 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 and nobody leaned over and said, Tony, 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 it's Yeti. Yeti. Right. And, oh, I'm sorry, fans. That was the biggest blunder in the history of our great sport. <laughs> That's uh, so that'll put butts in seats. So Hogan is being attacked by the giant and the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. And what happens, Sean? Paint a picture. This mummy-like figure who who had been previously revealed on Nitro at the very end of Nitro gobbledygooker style, a giant block of ice had been sitting on the stage all night, and a crazy, like, dungeon master-looking guy had been making ominous proclamations about this block of ice. And then at the very end of Nitro, as it went off the air, and I kind of miss this about Nitro, because they use this gimmick a lot, where, oh no, we're out of time, folks, and and boom, you miss whatever the heck is going on. And it was a good way to, like, lazily wrap up things like we don't have to figure out how to end this confrontation or match we'll just we'll just cut uh so the block of ice <laughs> We're the block of ice lights up starts emitting smoke and cracks open and then before you can see what is contained within they cut away to to the end of to the end credits uh which by the way feature many of the wrestlers actual names <laughs> right right yeah um Runnels. and and then it wasn't until uh the pay-per-view 
the following Sunday, Halloween Havoc, that we actually got to see what the Yeti was. And now, Sean, tell us. Uh, it's the mummy from, <laughs> but it's a poor man's version of the mummy. And it's straight up the universal horror movie monster mummy. I have no idea what the hell that has to do with a Yeti, which is a Bigfoot-like creature. Found well, it was gigantic. Pet. It was gigantic. It was just gigantic. It's all it was. It was just a very, very tall dude in bandages. Because it's Reese, who you may know right. from Raven's Flock, who we will discuss uh, shortly. I think you mean Big Ron Stud. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> Which was his gimmick before he so, was just the big guy. So obviously, the Hulkster is terrified. The live audience is terrified by this massive presence lurking out from backstage, obviously with ill intent. Sean, tell us what the Yeti added to the conflict. He dry-humped Hogan. He did indeed. <laughs> mm-hmm. He. I can't even say that like flat enough. He and he, the giant... Braced Hogan in a man sandwich. And just shook back because, again, <laughs> he is selling this mummy. Like, sure. He's, he's a character he has called to. the Yeti, and he is selling it 100% mummy. Like, he's got a foot drag, his arms are, like, hanging limp. I mean, he looks like he's auditioning to be on Walking Dead, and. Then he gets into the ring and he just flops his arms over it. And Reese no. is apparently just as tall as um, Paul White is. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a big fella. Now, let me. I want some real world perspective on this thing, Johnny Danger. <laughs> you have you you've lived the life. You've been in that ring in in many diverse circumstances. Please put yourself, if you will, into Hogan's. Normally big yellow boots, but that night they were black because he was uh, he was serious. We're on the dark side. Yes, Kevin Sullivan. And so put yourself into Hogan's serious time boots and tell me you're Hulk Hogan in the ring, being uh, mauled by Paul White, and you turn around and you see this, and you have a job to do. Tell me what's going through your head, Johnny Danger, as Hulk Hogan. The only thing I can think of. Is... Wait a minute, Johnny. Can you deliver it actually as Hulk Hogan? Oh, you bet he can. Oh, oh God! Put me on the spot here. You don't have to if you don't want to. We we did not prepare you beforehand <laughs> for this sort of thing. I'm totally calling like I'm calling an audible here. Mid run. I'll do it if I can make one minor detour, and this is kind of still on topic. Dungeon of Doom. Hulk Hogan's cutting the most nonsensical promo I've ever heard. He's in the Dungeon of Doom, and he sticks his hand in some running water, and exclaims. It's not hot. <laughs> There's no Hulkamaniacs here, brother. <laughs> so I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> there I was so in the cool. middle of Kobo Hall, dude. I'm wrestling that big, stinky, seven-foot-tall, 500-pound ward-infested giant, brother. And here comes this big, smelly ice mummy, Jack. <laughs> And he starts to humping me. He starts to hanging and banging. I don't know what to do, brother. <laughs> Donald Trump's not there to help me. The Trump <laughs> towers have fallen. <laughs> the only thing I can do, brother, is just hang on. Because I've got the creative control in my contract. I knew I could have stopped this, but I didn't do it, brother. <sighs> so I went, oh, God, I'm dying. Oh. 
That audio needs to be the intro for your podcast for every podcast from now on. I, I would agree with that. that. I'm clapping. That was beautiful. And, and Johnny, I just want to thank you for twice now participating in a what essentially amounts to a Hulk Hogan sex story. <laughs> hey, you should have been to a karaoke the other night where I sung a Jimmy Buffett's Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Are you kidding me? Amazing. That's amazing. All right. So <laughs> we've covered the Yeti. Yeti. Uh, let's move away from WCW for a little bit because I don't want this thing to get too WCW-centric. Well, but hold on. Before we do that, since we talked about the Yeti, do we want to just briefly diverge? Because Johnny touched on it. The whole – the fact that Kevin Sullivan has basically played – Anton LaVey multiple times. Okay, yeah, let's touch let's touch on uh Dungeon of Doom and, and Johnny, you're the one that brought it up. So let's what how do, how's your uh Dungeon of Doom trivia? I'm knowledgeable to a fault, unfortunately. No, nothing <laughs> wrong with that. I I just thought the damn thing was too goofy. It it's it was a bunch of guys way past their prime. I mean, no disrespect to Kamala or Earthquake guys like that, but it's Guys, Hogan had already beaten. I never bought him as a threat, especially when they put the whole damn dungeon and Ric Flair, Luger, Arn Anderson in a cage with Hogan and the Macho Man, and they beat him in like a two-on-thirteen match. Now, what about Sullivan himself, though? I mean, there's no denying that that guy had a, a hell of a storytelling mind. He did. Unfortunately, I haven't seen too much of his work outside of WCW. I know he did the Army of Darkness thing with Woman and Woman and a few other people. And Is I, it, it, didn't he? Was she? Did he christen her Woman? Is that where she got the name from, or did she have a different name when she was with him and he was doing his whole like Conan slash Man of War slash Thor gimmick and Thor the band, not the Marvel character. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't know where woman came from. I always I, I, thought it was, I always thought it was weird because my, my first uh, exposure to her was with, uh, the horseman in that era. Like I, I really wasn't totally aware of her. I know she was with, uh, Sullivan in the mid eighties in Florida. Yeah, she was, yeah, she was part of his whole little, yeah, like so I just pulled up Wikipedia. This is not off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, she in her early career cuz she was married to Sullivan. She was his wife and then she left him. Sullivan, this is off the top of my head, so I'm probably screwing this up. But Sullivan as part of a storyline angle encouraged her to travel with Benoit when they were feuding. Then she ended up having an affair with Benoit, divorced Sullivan, then married Benoit. Uh, but she got her start in Florida with Kevin Sullivan, this full part from Wikipedia, got her started in Florida as part of his group of Satanists that included okay. like Luna Vachon and um, a few other, a couple other women. And I think maybe she, oh, she was the fallen angel then. I don't know when she got the name woman, but she was the fallen angel and whatever Kevin Sullivan's gimmick was um, as just the crazy Satanist dude. I think Flair might have given her the name woman. Oh yeah, because she was part of his stable with um, Mongo McMichael's wife and uh, Miss Elizabeth 
um, in the early WCW days. Yeah, I might be mixing things up. I just remember, woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? Yeah, I think you're right. I think, yeah, I think Flair gave her that name. So to address what you said, Johnny, uh, I, I have a sentimental liking for the Dungeon of Doom, but you're, yeah, they, they always came across as just too goofy. Cause I mean, I like goofy in my wrestling. I, I like funny, fun gimmicks. I like yeah. over the top crazy stuff, but here's the issue is that you had Sullivan who bought everything he was doing a thousand percent. He always put over the characters he was pushing, his own character and what was happening, but he surrounded himself with people who weren't buying into it, who were just there wearing goofy face paint or whatever. <laughs> Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> oh, no. Why did oh, you do that? Damn it, okay. Johnny Danger. Yes. No. You have to put yes. a, no, you no. have to put a dollar, yes. you have no. to put a dollar in the beefcake jar. <laughs> the first dollar ever. <laughs> Oh this no! It's like dark. a swear. Was, it's yeah. like a swear jar when you give Sean the opportunity to talk about Zodiac. So was the Zodiac a precursor to Daniel Bryan? Yes. <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. No. yes. No. Uh, I think it would clearly influence. All right, Sean, just get it out of your system. You've got. I'm going to give you two minutes. Is this why you wanted to get away from WCW? Yes, like, it is. Dodge. The Ed Leslie bullet. I was like, before we get there, please let's let's diverge. All right, you got two minutes. Just Zodiac your heart out. This is look. The Zodiac is a fascinating character. Ed Leslie's entire Stop career. That. Ed Leslie's entire career is basically predicated on the fact that he's best friends with Hulk Hogan. Like he wouldn't have a career other than that, and he shows up, and I don't even know that he can actually. After he had his whole face reconstruction surgery, I think he like couldn't even really wrestle that much anymore. And so he comes into WCW and he couldn't use the Brutus the Barber beefcake gimmick because that was owned by WWF. Also, because his gimmick was a guy that cut hair with lawn shears. Don't need he doesn't need to bring that gimmick. So somehow he play, he comes in and he's Brother Broody. <laughs> Clearly a Hogan name. And then that somehow then becomes the booty man. <laughs> and <laughs> somehow he ends up, there's this massive feud. When Hogan first comes to WCW, there's this massive feud between Hogan and Kevin Sullivan. And Sullivan decides that it, uh, it would be great to brainwash uh, Brutus, brother, whatever the fuck his name is, fucking booty man. And he becomes the man with no name. <laughs> and he joins the Dungeon of Doom. And then something else happens, and then he just becomes Zodiac. And the Zodiac is this guy who had – do you guys know who – do you remember the Ed Grimley show? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, right. So imagine Brutus the Barber beefcake mullet ponytail with an Ed Grimley unicorn point. <laughs> and he painted himself up like a zebra, and he wouldn't say anything. He would just say yes, no, yes, no. And I think the theory was is that he was supposed to be some weird twist on, like, the Zodiac Killer. And your time is up. Stop. <laughs> we are done talking about Brutus the Barber Beefcake or Zodiac. 
Uh, uh, I hope that gave you as much as you needed because it gave us as much as we wanted and more. <laughs> Let's move on now to uh, – to the WWF, although a little more recently than we probably should, but these are two names that I, I or a name that I want to cover in particular because it brings up. Uh, we talked about Edge coming in as a foil to Gangrel initially, uh, and they tried this again. Years later, they would bring in a character called Mordecai, who was intended to be sort of the anti Undertaker initially, and. It was a gimmick that I dug, and I really wanted to see go somewhere, and it kind of never did. Uh, do you guys remember Mordecai? Yeah. I, yeah, Kevin uh, Furtick, right? Yes, who, yeah. who would go on to become Kevin Thorne, who we'll discuss in a little bit. But I, I want to cover Mordecai because I feel like there was a lot of possibility there, and it just kind of ended with a thud. Well, let's – now – <laughs> I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. He was set up to be the anti-Undertaker, which would make him, what, the third anti-Undertaker after Kane and Mankind? Well, but no, because they were not supposed to be kind of opposite images of Undertaker. Um, You know, Mankind was brought in, yes, as opponents, sure. But Mordecai was, I mean, he was almost like uh, the bizarro to Undertaker's Superman. Like he was, uh, he was, yeah. he was a light mirror image of Undertaker. Yeah, I can see which, that. Which was a very interesting thing to, to, uh, a very interesting concept to propose. But he came in and he cut some promos, uh, that, that were fine. They weren't amazing, but they were, they, I think he could have found his footing and then just really never got anywhere. Like we never got an epic confrontation like I was hoping for. I mean, cause at the time, it would not have been outlandish to have them dueling with like lightning and fireballs and shit in the middle of the ring. I mean, that's, that's WWF at the time. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys, you guys may not remember this any more clearly than I really do. Uh, but did, do you see promise with that? Do you feel like they dropped the ball or do you feel like it was better to go ahead and put a bullet in it, uh, before it, it got too old? Honestly, I wasn't watching regularly when he was around, but from what I remember, um, good concept, bad execution. Now, do you think that is on the writing team, or do you think that's on uh, Kevin, uh, whatever's left, Ferdig, Ferdig, uh, for for not being in into it in the right way? It may be a little of both, because like you said, I think he was designed to be a foil for The Undertaker, but I don't know that it ever got that far. Like, I, I remember him working with Hardcore Holly and Rey Mysterio. And you're not going to have intriguing storylines with those guys. The gimmicks, they, they don't line up. Right, right. And and yeah, I think that's what it was, is he, he kind of never made it to Undertaker. Right. Um, but fortunately, uh, he got to hang around. uh for a while, I guess in developmental, probably OVW, and reemerged with an entirely different character uh, and one of the hottest valets that has ever been in the WWF or E, and that is Ariel. Baby Jesus. <laughs> oh, Shelly Martinez. Uh, so Kevin Thorne shows up. He has uh, a vampire gimmick that is... Just as overt as Gangrel's in a different way. And he has his valet, Ariel, who is 
just phenomenal at being gothy, sweet, sweet eye candy and who comes out to the ring and hooks her legs over the top rope and hangs upside down bat-like uh, in uh, just incredible fashion. And this, even though they didn't get to stick around as long as I would have liked, uh, they, they had a lot of success. They did well in WWE and then moved up. Well, no, they were uh, they started with ECW. Yeah. I was thinking they transitioned, but they were actually part of uh, the initial WWECW launch. When it was uh, on Sci-Fi? Right, correct. Because yeah. Sci-Fi wanted uh, stuff like vampires and bullshit like the ECW zombie. Right, well, because that's how Vince, Man, Vince McMahon understands. Well, no, I mean, these were sci-fi wanted these elements in the in the show. Oh, so it's sci- it was sci-fi's fault for the zombie. I mean, I know they wanted the elements, but I was just I think there was, I think McMahon there was, was like, a, oh, give a zombie. I, I think there was a str- oh no yeah 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 okay I see what you're saying yes when sci-fi said hey we'd like to have some more fantastical elements Vince said uh, give him a zombie right uh, he's gonna puke <laughs> oh gosh. And, you know, uh, the execution of the zombie, if I can just step in right there, I think that's actually more true to ECW than people give it credit for because it was really just a giant middle finger. You want your fucking zombie? Here he is. <laughs> and the Sandman just beats the piss out of him. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Thorn and Ariel, I-, I loved them. I thought they were a great act together. Uh, Thorn, we actually got to see a lot of action out of him. Very good in the ring. Had some, you know, great matches while he was there. Uh, and, and I think was an excellent combination of living the gimmick and also being a good hand in the ring, which those two things do not always go hand in hand. No. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they're, they're as far apart from each other as you could possibly get. Are there any uh, WWF oriented guys that uh, you can you guys want to discuss specific guys that that maybe kind of made an impression on you or were maybe the epitomes of WWF's brand of gimmickry? You mean like the Boogeyman? Yes, absolutely, like the Boogeyman. <laughs> Isn't he the guy that pulled gummy worms out of his nose? No, he pulled worm worms out of his nose. Oh. They were not gummy. Well, I guess it, they probably were gummy in the manner were, yeah. that actual worms are gummy. Yeah, I convinced myself that they were gummy worms to make me not vomit. I I hated the boogeyman initially. Me too. Uh, I I I I got it. I saw what they were doing, and I didn't like it. Johnny, what was what? What do you you didn't like him? No. Uh, what did you ever come around? I, I didn't. I, I never dug it. I didn't like the character or the wrestler. Just not on board. What about you, Sean? Were you watching at the time? No, I actually wasn't watching regularly at the time. And he came in. Like, we had a discussion on Facebook, and we brought up how Doink was actually supposed to be like a Pennywise character. But this was at a time when I was, same thing, like I was kind of not paying a ton of attention to WWF wrestling in general but particularly the wwf at the time and so all i saw was like oh god these are just it, it all looked to me from my vantage point at the time it all just looked like the gobbledygooker or um who was that guy that was the, bra- the boston brawler uh that was the, oh, the trash Bro- brooklyn brawler. The brooklyn brawler yeah that was the, the the trash guy that i was like i was like these are just dumb this is i was like this is why i'm not watching wrestling right now because i'm too embarrassed <laughs> um 
I hated the boogeyman at first, but eventually I, I came to accept him as just kind of, I think once they stopped trying to push him as a competitor and they started just having fun with him, uh, where he would just run in and, and mess with people and, because there was a time where they were kind of trying to act like he could, you know, be a title, not not the big title, but, you know, he was kind of messing around with, with titles and having competitive matches, and that's that was not his thing. His thing was showing up randomly and, like, biting things off of Diva's faces. <laughs> he was, in things I've seen now on the network of him and, and random appearances come back, he could have or should have been used as kind of a George the Animal Steel character. Where it's not even quite comedy, but it's just it, it's a carny aspect. And well, so it's and a that, throwback to the whole carny that's history. That's eventually where he ended up. Is he was right. just kind of you know doing doing bits and pieces like that. Speaking of of carnies, how can anybody forget Kizarni? Good old Sin Bodhi. Oh, okay. Well, Sean, later on you can uh, Google Kizarni. And then uh, when you find some matches he did not in WWE, you can enjoy some pretty decent ring work, uh, particularly in uh, TNA when he was half of the Beast of Burden. Uh, okay, so Boogeyman, let's let's clear that taste out of our palates. Uh, anybody else WWF-wise? Because really, WCW, uh, most of the names on my list come from WCW. What about you guys? Do you Do you guys lean one way or the other on these? Um, I've always been more of a WWF guy. I guess I'll bring up one of my favorites that I know uh, my brother's going to kill me if I don't mention, and that's Luna Vachon. Sure. I think everybody would kill us if we didn't bring her up, just because her whole gimmick was batshit crazy from out of the gate. And very underrated, very tough, very charismatic, and pretty damn hot, if you ask me. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. It's unfortunate that she gets overlooked so much now because she was a critical part not only of the Attitude Era, but of the years you know preceding it. She was such a presence. I mean, she had such a strong part in Gold Dust Rise, uh, and then you know once you get into the Attitude Era, uh, and, and all of the factions that were there. You had oh shit the name just dropped right out of my head. Uh, the ICP did the theme music. The oddities. The oddities. Thank you. Holy crap! Oh uh, with, god, I totally forgot about them. Yeah, she. I mean, she essentially to me was the cornerstone of the oddities. She put a lot of credibility into it. Yes, and and it was a really touching part of that story because the oddities really they they were a heartstrings crew. Uh, in the same way that the BWO could be from time to time, where you really felt for those guys. And Luna played a big role in that that outcast that's found a place to belong story that they told with them. Uh, and sure, they were goofy and they were fun and they came out to the ring and danced and everything. But, uh, you know, that they, they did some cool stuff. And, and her part in particular, she got that over. And it's it was her as a performer, not just as the crazy, violent, psychopath that she could be from time to time well they 
I'm sorry, Johnny. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, that's fine. I was just going to say that shows a lot of versatility on her part that she can go from being so dark and evil and sinister to going up there and dancing around in her prom dress and having fun with the insane clown posse. And just being sweet. I mean, when yeah. she was part of the oddities, she was just a sweetheart. It, it yeah. was amazing to see. Well, and it, without her, that group would have never worked because I don't know that there – first of all, I think two of the guys spoke really broken English. Like so, they could so they couldn't they couldn't work the mic just because of language barrier problems. The other guy had a gimp mask on, so you know the uh, so he wasn't going to be. Yeah, he wasn't going to be able to speak. I don't know who he was under the mask. Who was was it John? It wasn't John Tenta, was it? Yeah, it was Earthquake. It it was okay, okay. Oh, okay. He may have been able to work the mic, but again, you put a leather mask. Yeah, right. He his job was carry around that Cartman doll. Yeah, so getting that whole group over at all completely fell to her to do that like that was all on her and she very much in the same vein like she was carrying the torch that uh scary sherry had you know the cherry martell yeah set. i think she was doing a great job she was a fantastic both in the ring as a wrestler but then as a, as a manager could get on the stick and really work and yeah like you said for this group where they it was that, I mean, that issue was weird because there weren't clear delineations between heel and face to begin with. Right. But for someone that had worked almost exclusively as a heel to come in and work with this group where she's kind of, I, I don't even know. It's not quite baby face because no, they were supposed they to were. get over, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they weren't in the traditional sense, but they were like, they were baby faces more because you felt sorry for them, not because they were the avenging heroes. Right. Like, right. like a Hogan or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, she sold that group like a million bucks and that gimmick probably had way more legs than it ever deserved to have just because of her. So massive props to Luna, not just for being gold dust crazy girlfriend, but also for having a, a wide range of character that, that she was able to portray over her career. And uh, I'll say Hall of Famer for sure. Definitely. All right. Let's uh, – I'm going <laughs> to – oh, you know what? we got to talk about uh, – you, you. I think, Sean, you brought him up earlier. Uh, we got to talk about Mankind, uh, but not just Mankind because obviously Mankind is a very – very much fits into the mold of what we're talking about. He was creepy. Uh, he has – uh, his entrance music from WWF The Music Volume 2, where Mick Foley is actually talking throughout his entrance music, is really weird and creepy. I highly recommend you find it if you've never heard it. Uh, but not only Mankind, but Cactus Jack also, I think, fits into the mold of what we're discussing. Because Cactus, uh, you know, originally Cactus Jack Manson, is a crazy person. He's scary. You don't know what he's going to do. He's unpredictable. He he is uh, again a, a psychopath, and that is, you know, those two faces of Foley absolutely fit into this conversation. Uh, Mick Foley, there's no denying his legendary status. What are your what are your memories of scary Mick Foley? Oh, well, even though Dude Love is clearly not a um, uh, kind of a, a, a horror character. He's still, just by the very nature of how Foley plays these characters, 
fully as a schizophrenic kind of escapee from the psych ward. Which he literally was once. Right. I mean, sells all of these characters to no end. So that that makes Cactus Jack even more frightening in Mankind, a whole other level of frightening. Because when you realize, you know, he's playing these three characters that are all very divergent personalities. You know, one is completely unhinged, one is you know, a sociopathic narcissist. The other one is this totally checked out hippie. And you're like, this guy could legit be crazy. And he blurs the line between, you know, uh, reality and fiction. That's funny. I thought um, you were referring to dude love as the sociopathic narcissist. Well, there could be that too, I guess. Um, Johnny, do you have a favorite Foley? God, I don't know how to pick. Um, I do want to credit Mick Foley though, is his whole, you know, this was my childhood dream to sit down and interview with Jim Ross. Everything he did that made me decide that I was going to be a wrestler one day. So you can either thank or blame him based upon what you think of my career. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that Mankind, the original Dark One, I don't think he gets enough credit in the fact that he made The Undertaker a big deal. Undertaker was always a big deal. I know we're going to talk more on him later. But before Mankind, he pretty much fought all these random Monster of the Week, right. King Kong Bundy, lumbering type characters. But when he was in there with Mankind, he finally showed that vicious streak and turned it up himself. So I think I'm going to have to go with Mankind. It was the most versatile of the three. He could be heel, face, goofy, evil, whatever. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll narrow it down even more and say that specifically uh, the the crazy... Evil Mankind under the mask is my favorite. Uh, as much as I love Good Times Mankind with the smiley face tie and Mr. Sacco, and I do feel like it makes me very happy that Foley was able to do that character. Uh, that character has sort of morphed into just being Mick Foley, and I feel like a lot of its specialness has been worn off by time and by the things that Foley has done since then. Whereas the purity of that initial version of mankind has never been tarnished. He's still intense. He's still creepy. He still, even though you've seen the matches, he still feels wild and unpredictable. Uh, and, and so that original just mankind and the all brown gear uh, that, that looked so different from anything we'd really seen and certainly acted differently, that was fully buying into his gimmick a 100%. And it's an amazing transformation from Cactus Jack uh, that Foley had been portraying for years at that point. So I, I've, I've got to say the original iteration of, of uh, Mankind is my favorite Foley. What about you, Sean? Uh, yeah, I think I'd have to agree because with your assessment there about the original iteration of Mankind, because in a strange way, so if Undertaker, and obviously when we talk about Undertaker, we'll get more into this, if Undertaker was kind of the Freddy or Jason, Mankind was much more like a more modern horror villain and that you looked at him and you go, this, this could be a person. Like, this is somebody that could actually, like, a real person could snap and turn into that guy. Sure. And, you know, so he was more like a Silence of the Lambs type horror villain. 
And sending him opposite Taker grounded Taker in a way that made Taker's gimmick still relevant in the time period that he was in, whereas he could have just as easily fallen by the wayside with all of the other silly 80s gimmicks. And, I mean, it's credit to Taker that he did it, but also I think credit to Mankind in creating this perfect foil. I mean, because sometimes, I mean... Your heroes are only as good as your villains, and Hogan was at his best when he was against Roddy Piper, and I would argue that, you know, Mankind and Undertaker had their heyday because of how well their two characters reflected the other. Yeah. And and um, massive, and a totally different side of the company at that time, because on the other side you had, you know, Vince and Austin and DX and everybody else. Um, and so it was, you know... This couldn't have been more, you know, this was a million miles away from what was happening with the rest of the well, Attitude Era. And, and actually, that's a good point, because at the same time uh, that Mankind was cementing Undertaker's legacy, uh, he was also feuding with Shawn Michaels, which was an entirely different kind of dichotomy, where you had the, the deranged, hideous, supposedly hideous freak Mankind against, you know, the, the sexy boy. The prettiest yeah. man in wrestling, uh, the the guy who could do no wrong in the ring and who was always just beautifully performing and smooth against this this shambling wreck of a monster, uh, you know, two entirely different things in Undertaker and in Shawn Michaels, and yet Mick Foley as Mankind managed to be the opposite of both of them. Yeah, and very very well. So. Uh, Foley, uh, incredible, obviously, and we mentioned Kane. We've got to talk about Kane. Uh, so what I want to do is we're going to talk about Kane a little bit. I've got one specific event uh, that I want to mention, and then I'm going to just shoot some names at you guys, and I want uh, one-sentence responses. And then we're going to have to go into Undertaker because we're definitely running into the, uh, the end of the show here. Uh, but let's talk about Kane. Kane shows up. Uh, literally coming from hell uh, to attack Undertaker in the Hell in a Cell, which we are coming up on uh, Hell in a Cell pay-per-view now. It has its own pay-per-view, which I think is a terrible, terrible idea. Uh, but that's a different pay-per-view, or a different broad podcast, broadcast, podcast, pay-per-view. I don't know what's happening anymore. By God. We're out of time. We got to yeah, go. Yeah, right. Exactly. That would have been a perfect place to cut if we didn't have to talk about Undertaker still. Um <laughs> So, Kane, uh, my impression, one of the, no, the, the best, the best company man the WWF, WWE has ever had. Uh, he has always been a strong worker. He has not always been involved in the most interesting or uh, entertaining storylines. But holy shit, that guy goes out and does his job. And hats off to him for that. And as the full-on mute Hellfire and Brimstone old-school Kane gimmick, one of the scariest wrestlers of all time. Legit scariest wrestlers of all time. I was too old to, to be actually scared of him uh, when, when he first showed up, but I guarantee you that, that guy made children cry and shit their pants every single night it shows. Um 
for people that were bringing their kids to Attitude Era shows. Uh, what do you guys think about Kane? I could definitely see, you know, the fear factor there. He was kind of a modern take on Big Van Vader, who definitely scared me a little bit as a kid. Mm-hmm. Where he's got the awesome entrance, the mask, and all that. Um, like you said, nothing but respect for Glenn Jacobs. I think WWE kind of. I, I don't like when they took the uh, the full body outfit off of him and they they said the scars were all in his mind. He was never really burned. All that. I think that kind of hurt the character. Sure. But yeah, nothing but respect for what he's done all the years he's put in. Um, when they first said Kane was coming in, I thought, oh, great. You know, like we said, this is just going to be another random monster. He'll last for three or four months. Taker will beat him, and he'll go away. And, and, and you know what? That's probably what they thought, too. Right. But he busted his ass and believed in the character and made everyone else believe, and you got to respect that. I've got to ask you this, though, and, and I'll agree with you. Initially, when they retconned Kane's story... It bugged the shit out of me. I didn't like it. I felt like he was losing something. But do you think if Kane to this day was still the mute, totally covered, full mask Kane, he, he couldn't be. He wouldn't have evolved. Glenn Jacobs would have burned out on the character long ago. He he had to evolve to have the longevity that he's had. I think there could have been a happy medium like when he wore the... I guess kind of more of a singlet-style outfit where there was still something covered. And he was talking when he still had the mask for a while. Hell, one of my favorite promos is he cut backstage when he was teaming with The Rock and Hogan and started going on about his Canaanites. Yes, the Canaanites. <laughs> that was genius. Uh, but I, I, I am glad... I am glad that Glenn Jacobs was, was allowed to evolve. I'm glad that they didn't stick with him using the... Uh, I am Kane, and oh I am, god, that yeah, the the vocoder or whatever it was. They that, have done every, I, they being the WWE has done everything to bury every character or every incarnation of that character, and I think it's a credit to Glenn Jacobs that he has survived and been relevant as long as he has. For sure, and I mean they didn't do it with the intention of burying him. They have just thrown an ungodly number of terrible ideas his way. And he has weathered the storm all these years. Yeah. And we're not going to bring up the storyline that, uh, we have to bring up Katie Vick. (laughs) Arian would be upset. Um, I got Zodiac. So one of the most infamous storylines in the history of professional wrestling, uh, certainly of the WWF, at least, uh, is Katie Vick that unfortunately became part of Kane's canon. Uh, or Kanan, if you will, I guess. I don't. Never mind. I won't ask you to go along with that. Uh, where Triple H, it turned out that Katie Vick was Kane's girlfriend that had died in a car wreck, I think. And then Kane had sex with her dead body. And then, to put a little shit sausage on top of the turd Sunday, we, we got to see Triple H in a Kane mask reenacting the Katie Vick and Kane uh, sex scene in a coffin. So that was awful. We'd all like to forget about it. And yet at the same time, we're all secretly gleefully delighted by it. Uh, but Kane, I would like to punch triple H in the face for that one. There's plenty of stuff that plenty of people would like to punch triple H for, but the sad fact is he would whip our candy asses. 
Uh, so that's not going to happen. Oh yeah, he would. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> you know what? Sadly, you having that reaction tells me that he did his job as a heel and made you hate him for sure. I, and that's the I cannot thing. Deny this. <laughs> and, and granted, uh, yes, it was X Pac Heat, but people don't understand X Pac Heat is still Heat. Yeah. Um. All right. So Kane has taken everything they've ever given him and made the best of it. And in some cases has really like, who would ever have imagined that thing with Daniel Bryan would have worked the therapy stuff. And yet they were a fantastic and entertaining tag team. Uh, Kane is just, he's, he's awesome. Absolutely. Once again, absolutely future hall of famer. Um, so let's now move on to one of my favorite. Uh, this is, it's it's sort of a roundabout memory, but I've never had the context to discuss it before. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it down for you guys, and I'm gonna tell you one of the biggest pops I've ever had, uh, ever experienced, ever uh, the, one of the things I popped the biggest for ever in the history of wrestling. Uh, I'm a huge mark for Dean Malenko. I I fucking love Dean Malenko. Uh, his his work, I think, is the best. And in 1998, he was feuding with Chris Jericho. And it was, everything was gold. Everything those two did, promo-wise and in the ring, was fucking phenomenal. Is that when Jericho cut the promo of the man of a thousand and one? Yes. He started reading holds. So, Malenko has been left out of a battle royal that Chris Jericho is having for a shot at his cruiserweight championship. And if you are any kind of WCW wrestling fan, you know that a cruiserweight battle Royal in 1998 is going to involve no less than 742 guys. Because (laughs) every cruiserweight in the country worked for WC and some from out of the country worked for WCW at that point. So, the Battle Royal, it's a fun Battle Royal, as only WCW can do. Tons of luchadors, tons of quick, really talented guys. Uh, somebody gets thrown out of the ring roughly every .25 seconds. Uh, but it, it's fast-paced, it's fun. And I have some favorites from among the luchadors. Uh, Damian666 and Ciclope were two guys that worked in WCW. They never did anything there. But I always dug them because they had sort of horror, supernatural, crazy gimmicks. And uh, Ciclope uh, wrestled outside of WCW as a, guy, a wrestler called Halloween, who actually had orange and black uh, gear and had a jack-o'-lantern mask. So Damian666 and Ciclope are obviously in this battle royal because all... 8,432 cruiserweights that were alive on the planet Earth at the time were in this battle royal. And I've always liked Ciclope just because of his Halloween gimmick, because he, he was still Ciclope even though he's wearing the Halloween gear. So they're doing their thing. Uh, they are, and Ciclope keeps throwing guys out. And I'm like, are they fucking putting Ciclope over? Because Ciclope never went over. He just went out there, did his fast matches, and went back. Ciclope gets to the end. Ciclope throws out the last dude. What the fuck just happened? Ciclope 
just won a shot at the Cruiserweight Championship? Well, I guess Jericho's just going to smash him, but that made this battle royal pointless. And then Jericho goes in the ring and is like, hey, sequel pay one, ha ha ha, I'm going to whoop his ass no problem, because that's who Jericho was. And while Jericho's back is turned, sequel pay pulls his mask off, and it's Dean fucking Malenko. I lost my shit. That is one of my favorite moments ever in wrestling. Uh, and of course, Jericho at the time, still in the prime of his career, you know, pre WWE, but he is top notch, uh, role model, paragon of virtue Jericho and turns around and looks like fucking Elmer Fudd just saw Bugs Bunny pointing a shotgun at him. It's incredible. I love this, and uh, I tell the story because one, it involves Cyclope, who you know has a Halloween gimmick, and two, because it involves an unmasking, which is directly related to what Halloween is all about. Uh, it's a guy in a costume. It was Dean freaking Malenko dressed up as a luchador that nobody gave a shit about except me. <laughs> So I love that story. So you're marking out hard. Oh, dude! For so yes, I was so ex- I was excited because it was sequel pay. Let alone <laughs> the Dean Malenko reveal. Um, so having shared that story, I'm going to run down some names, and I want you guys to just sort of respond because I, I want to cover a few more people, and then we'll get into Undertaker territory. Uh, I, I we haven't mentioned anybody outside of WCW and WWF yet, but I feel like we've got to throw Abyss out there. Uh, how? Have you guys seen Abyss's work? Did you watch TNA back in the day at all? I did, and um, uh, Abyss was Kane meets Mankind done poorly. Credit I, I always to, called him Kane Kind. As yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, credit to um the the wrestler that does that character because he's he's been like with TNA since the beginning. And has continued to play that character through all its weird incarnations. And apparently, they did a storyline with him that was not unlike what we're seeing with Kane right now. Yes, um, where he showed he was well, he was actually playing his own brother. Yeah, uh, who's I Which, can't remember. He was using his his actual name. Yeah, Chris, whatever. Joseph Park, right? Joseph, oh, Park, Joseph Park. Yes, yes. yes. He, so he he's Chris Park, but he was playing his brother Joseph, supposedly. Um, yeah, so all credit to the dude because he was all in and has been there the entire time. But unfortunately, his he's using like a copy of a copy of a copy of a gimmick. Um, and now he has what is, doesn't he have like a, a they don't do hardcore stuff anymore. So he has a spiked bat that he can't use and it's named sister something. So now he's well. like. To be fair, nobody nobody in TNA can use anything right now because they're not. <laughs> they're, they're they're essentially done. Johnny, what about you? What do you what are your thoughts on Abyss? Uh, pretty much the same. I never really got too heavily into TNA, be it that just lack of interest or that they don't carry the channel it's on. So I haven't seen too much of his work, but I mean, yeah, no no disrespect to the guy, just I didn't dig the gimmick or the look. Uh, I was always opposed to the gimmick because like I said, it was Kane kind. I mean, yeah. it was just not the most original gimmick ever. The guy is a great worker. He had some great, cause I, I was 
way into TNA. We started buying the Wednesday night pay-per-views in 2002, uh, and I followed it for years after that. And uh, I was big time into TNA, and Abyss always performed. There were times when I was sick of him. Uh, you know, just like any wrestler that, that has any longevity, you're going to go through phases where you're just like, all right, that's enough of this guy for a while. Uh, but, but he's a hard worker. It's funny because he got Kane's gimmick and essentially uh, did the same thing Kane or Glenn Jacobs did. Uh, he, he was a stalwart in the company and a really hard worker who delivered when he was asked to. So, you know, I got respect for the guy. He just has, has had a tough road and is in a company that is, you know, I don't know. I don't want to use the word laughing stock, but that's the point they're at now. All right. So Abyss. And now uh, we got to move on. And, and I, I hate to short shrift this guy, but we have to uh, Raven and the flock. Huge impact in WCW. Uh, and prior to that, a much more extreme, extreme version of his character in ECW. What are you guys' feelings on Raven? I love Raven until WWF got their hands on him and ruined him. I went to a, I think it was a Nitro when it was in Atlanta, and the sign I held up was, Raven is my brother. (laughs) (laughs) Is Raven your brother? No. Oh. But I totally, I, like, if he would have pulled any fan out of the crowd to be in the flock, sign me up. I was all in. I loved his whole just disenfranchised grunge poet crap. I loved every minute of it. I thought I, it was the greatest thing in the world. Uh, one one of my favorite feuds is Raven and DDP over the United States Championship. That that title is one of my favorite titles, partially because of that feud. I, I think WCW handled that title better in in, in the entirety of its run. WCW handled the United States Championship better than any other promotion has handled any other title. I, I feel, you know, it was, it's obviously not the main event title, but, but man, it, it was always, always interesting and important what was going on. And DDP and Raven was no exception. When Raven came out on freaking MTV and stole the belt from DDP, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on. More WCW, Glacier and Mortis, the Mortal Kombat wrestlers. <laughs> now, I will I will point out to you, gentlemen, that I recently had the honor of uh, introducing Glacier to the ring at Dragon Con Wrestling. Well, Sean, you were there. You saw. It. I was there, and yeah, I can't. I got nothing but love for Glacier because he came out at DCW and worked like it was a freaking Monday Night Raw. Uh, he was super, I mean, the crowd. The crowd went it. fucking nuts. Oh my god. All the hooligans, we lost our fucking mind. We were like, holy shit, that's actually Glacier. And I, I was actually a little bummed out because I knew he was there. So oh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't get the surprise factor. That was like one of the times where I was like, man, I kind of wish I was sitting over there again because I'm <laughs> sure that was awesome for you guys. Yeah, we lost our fucking minds. It was awesome. And I, again, I got to give him credit because he totally, I mean, he came out and he worked and he wasn't like, hey, whatever. He didn't have acid. He put in more effort in that damn DCW Battle Royal than Jericho has put in in his last two matches. 
Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Uh, All right. You know, it's so, I got nothing but love for that guy. Johnny, the, the Mortal Kombat wrestlers? <laughs> I mean, I got to say, I think it was a little bit silly. They did a months of build up for the guy with the whole blood runs cold thing. I'm sure we all remember that. For sure. Nothing against Glacier as a wrestler. I actually had the pleasure of being partially trained by the guy that trained Glacier, uh, Fred Avery. Great guy. Random bit of trivia there. Nice. Nice. So you're like two degrees of separation. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> you're <laughs> almost in Mortal Kombat. Sweet. I'm better than Curtis Stryker, at least. <laughs> uh, and then we got to talk about Mortis, too, who uh, went on to have a, a pretty awesome career as Canyon. Mortis I always dug. I liked his look. I loved his, like, Castlevania-inspired theme music. Yes. Great guy in the ring. Hell, he was a blast. He was on the uh, WCW NWO Revenge N64 game. Oh, yeah. Well, he had a he, he had a great look, and, ah, God, Canyon, poor guy had his demons, but he could go in the ring, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, he was probably one of the... Him and probably early thinner Billy Kidman were two guys that, you know, I, I would argue brought a lot of that lucha style, but mixed it well with the American style and kind of probably paved the way for guys like AJ Styles or even a Neville. Good you know, call. sort of these high flyers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, just being more athletic and moving around in a way yeah. that you weren't used to seeing average size white dudes moving. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't going to put you down with a big boot. He was going to something flashy. Kiss Demon. The less that is said about him, the better. (laughs) Come on, give Dale Torborg some props. (laughs) Do you guys Uh, remember the Kiss Demon debuting? Loved it. Yes, I was glued to the television. I'm a huge Kiss Mark, but uh, that... Could that have ever gone anywhere, though? No, no, no. Well, because it costs so much. Like, what did what did Time Warner have to pay, uh, freaking Gene Simmons? I mean, because you know that gimmick did not come cheap. Right. I mean, he was wearing Simmons makeup. Yeah. There's like there was probably licensing out the ass. Now, Johnny, I know you may have listened to a Kiss song or two in your time. <laughs> Would you be marking out today if the Kiss Demon were still around? I would. I got a feeling it would be kind of looked down on by others. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the big time kiss mark. You know, I, I like shit where you can just sit back, laugh, and have fun. Obviously, that's not what they wanted the demon to be. Right. Like the guy was supposed to main event pay per views. There was supposed to be a whole kiss army stable of wrestlers, which I guess fortunately never panned out. Yeesh. Yeah, there's supposed to be all of them. There was supposed to be a wrestler for each of the personalities in the band so we yeah. would have gotten a spaceman cat man a star child well we had ernest the cat miller he was pretty awesome <laughs> <laughs> he was indeed somebody call my mama um all right sting and another one that i hate to gloss over but i also think everybody knows sting so well that you know what more needs to be said than sting looming like a ghost over the nwo for so long and again being somewhat instrumental in getting that gimmick over Crow-sting. or rather or rather not getting it over but in prolonging the life of that gimmick oh crow sting is fucking amazing and the crow is one of my favorite comics it's one of my favorite mo- it's hands down my favorite movie of all time probably um 
I mean, I can't say enough good. I had years where the only thing I could draw was the crow. <laughs> I I tried to draw other things. I actively did. The only thing that ever and came they out all the turned into the crow. It all turned into the crow. I, I would draw crow. Calvin and Hobbes, but they would end up in they trench coats with crow makeup. Right, exactly. I had the crow painted on my ceiling in my dorm. Johnny, uh, how, what are your sting feelings? Your stinglings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like a contrarian just shitting on things, but I did not like the crow sting. I liked the man called sting, the surf oh. sting. Interesting. No, no. I always like having an opposing point of view because it makes it more interesting. So you you didn't like it when he took on the uh, – uh, which, by the way, I recently listened to uh, Stone Cold talking to Scott Hall, and I was almost in tears at how happy I was to hear Scott Hall lucid and together yeah. and telling these great stories, having great recall because uh, I love Scott Hall. But Scott Hall said in that podcast that he's the one that suggested uh, the crow gimmick to Steve Borden. That's true. Um, Like I said earlier, I was always more of a WWF guy, but when I did watch WCW back in the day, I did like, you know, the fan-friendly, colorful sting. And this was a stark contrast from that. But at that time, I was more into the flock and the NWO. So, yeah, I wasn't really a big sting fan then. Interesting. Nothing wrong with that. Everybody's got their favorites. All right. Papa Shango. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, we already, we already hit the boogeyman. Uh, here's, here's an interesting one. Dustin Rhodes for not just gold dust, but also black rain, which was the TNA version of gold dust and the stranger. Do you guys remember that? The stranger is his dad's gimmick. Well, but he did a version of it. Did he? Seven, right? Um, is that what it was called? His Uncle Fester WCW thing? Yeah, that he would look like one of the things from Dark City. Yeah, that was seven. Oh, okay, okay. I'd, I'd forgotten it actually had a name. I was just thinking it was randomly referred to as The Stranger. Now, that well, didn't last long, though. No, they killed it on its inception, actually, because there are people behind the scenes at Turner complaining that it looked like a child predator gimmick when he was appearing in kids' windows at night in his vignettes. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why they thought that. Oh, who wouldn't want that on their TBS channel? But uh, I do want to hijack things for just a second and say Dustin Rhodes, as Goldust, is my favorite wrestler currently right now. What he's done in the past few years, upwards of 40 years of age, he's in the best shape of his life. He's fantastic in the ring. If this is the Goldust we had in 1996, I think he would have been world champ. Absolutely. Abso-fucking-lutely. Uh, he has the, the renaissance that he's had as a performer is incredible, but I will say this gold dust has never been anything less than thoroughly entertaining. I've oh, no doubt. I, anytime he's on the screen, I am captivated regardless of what he's doing. And I don't think he gets enough credit for the attitude era because you got to remember when Steve Austin was still the ringmaster. Goldust was rubbing his nipples to Razor Ramon and making out with Ahmed Johnson. Absolutely. <laughs> We've never seen anything like that before. And went on to have that just incredible and insane parking lot brawl with Piper. Love that match to this day. Yeah, absolutely. One of Still one of the most unique things the WWE has done. And, and just, it's a blast to watch. Even though it's so ridiculous and over the top, it's so much fun. 
and uh, certainly not a storyline that you could get away with today. No. Uh, but because basically Piper didn't want to have anything to do with Gold Dust because Gold Dust was uh, his alternative lifestyle, shall we say? <laughs> to bring that one back around. All right, so uh, Dustin, phenomenal, and the character of Gold Dust, uh, another one that went so far beyond what I think anybody would have ever expected. Uh, okay, for, for the last, before we go on to Undertaker, uh, Great Muda, who I really only know from WCW and his appearances there, uh, but very impactful, strikes an imposing image, and was the first time that I ever saw The Mist. Which is, I don't know that he's the innovator or creator of that particular gimmick, but for sure he does it better than anyone else. And for sure it is, like, I'll take the mist over a barbed wire bat to the head any day of the week. I don't mean me personally, although yes, that's, that's the <laughs> choice I would make. I'm just <laughs> saying as far as watching a match, uh, I'll take it. And the reason why is, if if he's spraying whatever the fuck the mist is supposed to be, he's spraying that in your face, and it's going to take you out of the game. It's going to give him the advantage. And I can buy that. In the context of a match, I can go down that road. Somebody hits you in the head with a barbed wire bat, you're dead. You're dead. That's it. That takes me out of the match. So I'll take the mist any day of the week. What about you guys? Do you guys have a lot of Muda knowledge? I, I honestly don't. I just wanted to bring him up because he's fucking creepy. I do have a bit. I'm a, I'm a fan of the guy. I think I'm maybe wrong, but I think the great Kabuki was actually the first one to use mist. I'll take that because I have no idea. But hey, Mood is definitely the more recognizable. Great matches with Sting, Flair, and WCW. He, he may have invented the moonsault. Holy shit. Now that I had no idea. Of. I, I could be wrong. I'll, we'll take that too. Sean, Sean, what about you? The first person I saw do it. We'll put it that way. It's canonical. It's canonical, (laughs) according to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we set the standard here. Uh, And if anybody disagrees, just be like, well, according to my canon. Sean, uh, what's your your, uh, Muda memories? Um, You know, Muda, and this actually, this is also kind of true for some of the the luchadors as well. Interestingly, I found that Japanese and Mexican wrestlers just had more interesting gimmicks in general to me personally like their weird superhero kind of things that they were doing so i never saw him as kind of like this weird horror character so much as i was like oh this is just like what they do in japan so he must be like uh ultraman or power rangers or you know you're you're thinking of jushin liger no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I mean, well, granted, you look at Jushin Liger, <laughs> and, like, it's fucking morphin' time. Uh, because that's, he's, he, he is a real life Power Ranger. Uh, screw Jason David Frank. I love you, Jason David Frank. No, um, you meant, you meant that literally. But, uh, yes, sure. <laughs> uh, I love you, Jason David Frank. Don't get Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so those characters, I, you know, I, I love them. I thought they were interesting. I loved what they brought because it was so different. Because you're like, oh wow, this is crazy. This is some really intense stuff happening. And as a kid, it was just mind blowing. But um, 
but nothing like that stuck out in my mind is like, oh, this is a really scary guy because he's got this crazy green mist. It was like, oh, they do weird shit in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is true, but again, that's another episode. Right, All right. That's- it's a tentacle porn episode. Let's bring this thing home with talk of, uh, I, I think, undisputably, the greatest supernatural character in wrestling history, and that is The Undertaker. Would you guys agree with that statement? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to. Uh, who came in, and, and we, we've covered a good bit, so I don't feel too bad about just discussing him for a few minutes. Uh, you brought up a very good point, Johnny, in that when Taker first came in, he was kind of just wrestling the monster of the week he didn't he didn't get storylines he didn't you know he'd go out and beat a guy and that was it it was impressive but over the long term it wasn't that interesting and you know he owes a lot to mankind for for his longevity my the first time because i was kind of out of wrestling for a few years until I went to a local mom and pop video store. And, Cause you gotta, you gotta remember, I was fighting my parents every step of the way for every bit of wrestling I ever watched when I was living at home. So it's a battle that at one point or another I gave up on. Eventually though, I started going to a mom and pop movie store and renting the pay-per-views that they had there. And I rented, I think it was WrestleMania 10 where Undertaker fought Kevin Nash. It was either 10 or 11. 12. Oh, was it 12? Yeah. Okay. So I rented WrestleMania 12, Undertaker versus Kevin Nash, and it blew my mind because these two big men had what I thought, and, and I still to this day think this, I've seen better since, but had an amazing match. And that was actually, for me... What, what made me look at Undertaker as more of, more than just a spooky gimmick. That he, he could, he, he was capable of some interesting things in the ring beyond just being this unstoppable force or, or whatever. And granted, this was years after the fact. WrestleMania 12 had happened, you know, I don't know how much prior to that. But that was when, that is my first significant Undertaker memory. What about you guys? I think my first significant one is shortly after his debut, he had an alliance with Jake the Snake Roberts. And the whole thing with the Ultimate Warrior, where he was the one thing the Warrior was afraid of was death. Oh, yes, that, I was just looking that up. That's, that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was just thinking of. That, holy shit, that was probably one of the scariest angles as a kid, particularly with Ultimate Warriors super over real life superhero thing. Okay, right. now now tell me about this cuz I I'm not, you know, I've read about it, I've heard about it, but I I'm, I'm not overly familiar with this. Tell me about this. I don't remember exactly what started the feud, but at the time, you know, we we had just the squash matches on TV where it was the big name guy squashing the no name guy. And the Undertaker would always stuff his opponents in a body bag after he'd beat them. So somehow he gets to feud with the Ultimate Warrior. He, he probably showed up on the funeral parlor with Paul Bear or something, the interview segment he had. And I'm thinking Undertaker just came out and attacked him from behind, locked the Warrior in a casket. And you get all the road agents coming out trying to pry the casket open with crowbars, this, that, and the other. They finally get it open, and the Warrior's passed out inside, and he shredded the lining of the casket all to hell. 
Oh, wow. And then Jake the Snake comes in and offers to train the warrior in the ways of the dark side so he can face his fears. And looking back, it was probably goofy, but, you know, as a 9, 10-year-old kid, this is some kind of chilling stuff. Like, he takes the warrior to a graveyard, buries him up to his neck in the dirt, and just puts his skull right in front of him to stare in his eyes for the next hour, or however long it was. Oh, wow. Then the the penultimate, the no, the, the final segment, he locks the warrior in a room full of snakes. Holy says, shit. Like, your your final key to overcoming this is in a box in the middle of the ring or whatever, or in the middle of the room. Warrior opens this box, and unfortunately, it's a very fake-looking snake that pops out and bites him. <laughs> and then Warrior, with his last ounce of strength, is crawling to the door where Jake is watching through a window with a grin on his face. And he looks down at Warrior and says, I'm a snake. Never trust a snake. And the Undertaker appears behind Jake. Oh my gosh! It was and cahoots all along. Holy shit, dude! <laughs> and it was—I've—I've I've gone back and watched it on YouTube, and I would highly recommend anybody search. Just search Jake the Snake Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, I'm gonna have to it's, look this up. It's fascinating, and I feel like they did like crazy camera work with it too. Like it got all like, um, it just got freaky, uh, like Apocalypse Now. Starring the Ultimate Warrior. Okay. Yeah. It was this, I mean, he's like in a weird graveyard that is clearly not a graveyard. Like, it's clearly just a soundstage. <laughs> right, right. But it was amazing. And it made Jake the Snake a scary motherfucker. Yeah. It, just by association. They were like, oh, shit. Like, he turned into, like, a complete crazy horror villain and you're like the undertaker can make anybody evil see and that's interesting to me because we got uh we put up on you can join the needless things podcast facebook group if you're listening and you would like to and uh take part in the conversation because i posted that we were going to be discussing this and i asked for suggestions of wrestlers and somebody mentioned jake the snake and while he's intense and brilliant i i don't i would never have thought of him because to me Jake's the guy that cuts amazing promos uh but essentially you know it's great in the ring but he's he's the snake guy I never really thought of him as fitting into what we're talking about tonight but uh I am uh, I I'm going to have to school myself a little bit more and check some of this stuff out. Oh yeah, I would definitely so, and yeah uh, it's worth moving it on to everybody. in the Undertaker's career. He I am shocked that such a shallow gimmick has endured for as long as it has. And it's all credit or mostly credit to the wrestler, but he has had some opponents like Mick Foley that have helped make him along the way. Here's the thing to me that's so amazing about undertaker is how much further he pushes our suspension of disbelief how much we let him get away with compared to other people because undertaker. And now we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, none of us have watched. Now, I don't know if you guys have raw on in the background or not. I'm not going to watch it till we're done. Undertaker could walk out on raw tonight, could shoot a lightning bolt up Brock Lesnar's ass, could set Kane on fire and could eat Vince McMahon's face. And I would be like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> but if anybody else did that shit, I would be just so turned off. 
Hell, if Kane did that shit. How does he get shit, away with it? it Why do we Kane, love him so much? Why do we give him so much leeway in the age of lessened theatricality? Okay, I think a big part of it is he's just built up so much goodwill with the fans for being there so long. I know you had said you would put Kane as the ultimate company man, but I would give it to Undertaker because I'm sure there were offers for him to jump to the WCW in the 90s, and he never did. Yeah, yeah. Until recently, he hasn't taken that much time off. And you know he saved his money, so when he does come back, it's not because he has to, it's because he wants to. Yeah, and and from what, just as a, as a sort of modern-day aside, uh, apparently... He is reinvigorated and in good shape again, like kind of ready to go. He's not he's not broken down taker. That's what I've read, but it, honestly, at this point, I, I don't know. His last few matches have disappointed me. Yeah, but, but hey, he's damn near seven feet tall, three hundred pounds, and fifty years old. So that's going to happen. Well, yeah. right, because you just can't carry that around and do right. what he's done for the past twenty odd years. But I don't know what there's left for him to do. I mean, it may be too late for him and Sting. We don't know what kind of shape Sting's in. Oh, I know. Oh. It, I, yeah, it, I think it could be a little too late for Sting, unfortunately. So um, what is, uh, each of you, what is your favorite era of Undertaker? I'll, uh, I'll go on this one. Uh, give you guys a second to think. I absolutely loved the beginnings of the Ministry of Darkness, which which really was sort of the height of his lightning bolt spookiness. Uh, but his, you know, tying Stone Cold to the cross and kidnapping Stephanie McMahon and then recruiting uh, the acolytes and everybody, uh, it was essentially like a satanic version of the NWO and it shouldn't, again, it really shouldn't have worked. I really shouldn't have loved it like I did, but man, I loved it until it was me all along. That oh, was, son of a bitch. That was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> that was everyone's response to that reveal. Um, but I love Ministry Undertaker. That was pretty great. Um, I think I'm going to have to go for the era right before that, which I guess would be 96 to 98 when he's feuding with Mankind, uh, matches with Sean, Brett, Diesel, Austin. I think those were some of his greatest matches outside of WrestleMania. And hell, even his, his recent match with Shawn Michaels on their last WrestleMania, their last two WrestleMania matches were probably his best matches. Yeah, well... And, and Shawn Michaels is, he's one of those guys where, you know, anybody you bring up, you're probably going to say, yeah, those matches he had with Shawn Michaels were his best. Like, no doubt. That, no doubt. That, there's just a better chance that that's going to be the case. But, but Taker and Michaels did have a, a, an even, even more special layer of chemistry. It did. I, I think. After years of just seeing the slow Undertaker, who I still like, just, you know, stalking around the ring and choking the guys. When mankind showed up and he had to turn up the intensity, that 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 stuck with me. Sean, what about you? I you know, know what you're going to say. You're going to say American badass. Ugh. Oh god. No. <laughs> no. What's your favorite? But uh, credit to Taker for being able to pull off an entrance to Limp Biscuit. So let's just uh, right. So I mean, he got the crowd to pop for Fred Durst. 
so I don't know if that says more about the crowd or about Mark Callis. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I so throwing back to uh, earlier when I was talking about Percy Pringle, um, I love old school eighties. I'm supposed to believe he's actually the living dead and he's got Paul Bearer as his spokesman. And Paul Bearer is just selling the shit out of that gimmick. And then you watch him fight in the ring and he's dressed like a total goofball, but yet he looks scary as shit and he's killing people and he's totally believable as this dead guy. I, it just blew my mind at that time. I mean, it, at a time when all wrestlers were comic book characters. Undertaker was kind of like this weird mix between like Solomon Grundy and Batman had a baby. Um, <laughs> and to be perfectly honest, I think that his work with Paul Bearer back then, I, I think you can trace a direct lineage to what Paul Heyman is doing with Brock Lesnar right now. Just this having sure. that over the top, just psycho crazy wonderful promo cutting um you know i think initially like the ring work that and and his size and his appearance and the fact that he was just so imposing to look at obviously was going to put him over as a wrestler regardless but those early days and uh and having uh paul bear there uh who's just super gifted on the mic and super gifted with his character delivery um you know, really helped kind of, I think, get that ball rolling and, and help establish it. Because if you watch some of, uh, Undertaker's promos in the early days before he was Undertaker, when he was just me, Mark Callis, they were horrible. He was god awful on the mic. And I mean, really, Paul Bear was a, was a gift from the wrestling gods for him. Um, to the point where I think I messaged you, I think I sent you a text when Undertaker was on a few weeks ago and he cut a promo and I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard Undertaker speak. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I had to think about it for a minute, but I, I, I speak as Undertaker as opposed to Biker Taker, where he right he exactly got quite yeah robust. speak as the actual Undertaker, yeah. and and he had, but uh, it was few and far between. All right, we got to wrap it up. I've got two final questions for you guys. The first one is, who is your favorite of the spooky horror themed supernatural type wrestlers? Uh, let's start with Johnny. Devlin Valak. Oh, come <laughs> on. <laughs> barring, barring. Putting uh, over his tag team partner. Barring, He's in the house on fire. Obviously, that's a given for all of us, but taking Devlin Valak out of the equation. <laughs> you almost have to take Undertaker out, too, I think, then. Yeah, let's, you um, can't yeah. go, because we, we all agree Taker is, is the greatest. Let's, let's, without him. It's very close, almost impossible to choose between the original creepy Mankind and Big Van Vader. Mm, yeah, Vader's a good one. And, and, just and, we, a, and we didn't talk about Vader much, but it's it's pretty much just because Vader is just a giant, terrifying man. That, and let me throw out a very quick bit of trivia on Vader that I recently learned. I know we were talking about the wacky Japanese characters earlier with Muda and whatnot. Yeah. I wonder how much of the character of these guys got lost in translation. An aspect of Vader I never knew until recently. He was based on a folkloric samurai from the 5th century of Japan. What? What the fuck? Yeah, this I heard Vader talking about this on uh, Steve Austin's podcast. That There was a, 
a legendary samurai that was the strongest samurai in this village. And back then they would settle their disputes by having this village champion battle the other village champion. And one day Vader went to war on an island with another samurai for 72 hours and they both collapsed dead at each other's feet. And Big Van Vader was supposed to be the reincarnation of this samurai from 5th century Japan. Wow! That's insane. Dropping a knowledge bomb, (laughs) a knowledge Vader bomb on the podcast. Wow. Nice one. Um, That's amazing. I now like Vader a lot better. (laughs) I am going to go with Raven, who is, you know, not supernatural, but who is a very fuck-with-your-mind psychological, like almost Max Cady from Cape Fear type. I I just love the guy's work. He's one of the few things that I find watchable about the original ECW, uh, which I, I am not a huge fan of the original ECW. I love certain things about it, but for the most part, I can't really watch it. But anytime Raven's on, I'm glued to the screen. Uh, the flock in WCW was just fantastic because once again, by the time the flock showed up, uh, the NWO was well underway and another faction using essentially the same tactics really shouldn't have worked. And most of the time when WC did it over and over and over again, it didn't, but Raven just had that weird charisma that, that evil, like the guy seemed uh just like malicious intent nonstop. He's always playing all the angles. He always has a plan. He always gets away with shit. He's, uh, I don't know if you guys watched Oz, but there's a character on Oz named Ryan O'Reilly who was always stirring shit up, who always got away with every dirty thing he did. And to me, that was Raven, because Raven always had one of the flock guys take the fall for him. He always managed to get away before the situation brought him any harm. And he's just evil and devious, and I and I, I just love watching that guy work. And, and there was a time when he was great in the ring, too. And unfortunately, that ended sometime around when he was in TNA. Uh but he's just a great mind in the business and, and his character, it's another one of those characters where it's an aspect of his real personality that he brings into it and amplifies. Uh, so I just, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. They're much spookier, weirder guys, but Raven is the one I just kept coming back to when I was thinking about this. What about you, Sean? Uh, I gotta say it's probably a, for me, a tie between the crow sting in spite of what Johnny says. Uh, I disagree with you. Um, <laughs> no, that's fine. Everybody, yeah. I mean, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one, uh, <laughs> and I am an opinionated asshole. Um, no, I gotta say, I love the crew sting, and then I tie it with Raven for all the same things you just said. Also, the flock made me like Van Hammer, so that just goes to show the power of that. <laughs> and uh, to close it out. And uh, we, we'll we'll play a little bit of music at some point, but I want to know your favorite spooky entrance music. Gangrel. Sean, you think you know me? You think you know me? Uh, I got to go with Edge and his Rob Zombie entrance. I am going to also go with Gangrel's. Uh, the brood just 
phenomenal by James Johnston, who create one who will always be the name that tune guy because you can recognize his compositions after one note of music. <laughs> uh, but just incredible tone setting music. Uh, yeah, Gangrel and, and the Brood coming out to that just weird, almost harpsichord sounding. I love it. Love it. And I also love the version that was on WWF, uh, Attitude. The, the one where they had a bunch of rappers interpret the various themes of the time in like 1996 or seven, I think it was. I guess it was seven. And, uh, there's a version of the Brood theme song on that that's just great. And I can't remember who it is right now, but it's the, the lyrics are, I won't stop till I see blood. But the way the guy says it, it's, I won't stop till I see blood. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really good. And I'll probably play it at the end of the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking about spooky gimmicks. Uh, now it is time for you to put yourselves over Johnny danger. Where can we find you online and in the real world? Okay, online you can find me at facebook.com slash dangerkick. And you can see me wrestling most prominently with my brother Devlin Valak as the Danger City Demons in Platinum Championship Wrestling. Look them up on Facebook as well. We're in Porterdale, Georgia, the first and third Saturday of every month. And uh, Sean, what about you? Where is your online presence focused? Uh, online is my presence. Uh, oh my I gosh, you're like Lawnmower Man? Yes, uh, I am all over the interwebs. Um, Holy shit. Because I'm a software developer, and that's what we do. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at TorchCodeLab. Uh, that's where I am on Twitter. Eventually, you'll be able to find me as the Rad Ranger on the DirtyConGameShow.com website. Yes. That I will get built one of these days. How many months has it been since DragonCon? Oh. Um, stop it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I might not be the Rad Ranger. What did you say on the the, me- the, the no? What was it? The, <laughs> the, the oh, I can't remember. Let's move Ranger, on. The mediocre Ranger, something. Uh, but yeah, so uh, those are probably the two best places. And I um, occasionally blog at Deathpaw D E T H like Megadeth Paw P A W. Yeah, try try telling that to Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> Look, just because that fuck can't spell because <laughs> he misspelled. Did he misspell Molly Crew too? Uh, may, he might have left the umlauts off or something, but that's I, I can forgive that one. Whatever. The Mega Death one, not so much. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we will talk to you both sooner than later. Thanks a lot, you guys. All right, thanks. The time has come to relieve that pain, which will be better for me, but not so enjoyable. For all of you! Be sure to check out the Needless Things podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, rate it, leave feedback, spread the word, tell your friends, and be sure to check out 31 Days of Halloween at NeedlessThingsSite.com for new episodes of the podcast and so much more. Also visit ESOPodcast.com to view all of the shows available from the ESO Network, which we are a proud part of. Next week, we'll be back with more. Once again, I do not know the topic yet, but hopefully it'll be a live drunk cast. Uh, more on that later. For now, I'm going to leave you with one of the spookiest uh, entrance themes ever made available. This is Mankind's Ode to Freud 
with special messages from Mick Foley. I will see you next time. I love you guys. On the eighth day, God created mankind. Why was he having such a bad day? Why did he create all of you normal and forget so many important parts of me? He made the teeth that I swallowed, the ear that was ripped from my skull, a face that no longer exists. Deep inside, you are merely a mirror image of all my atrocities. The ugliness that exists outside lives inside every one of you. Destruction can be beautiful. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.